Good morning, class, and everyone out in internet land. Uh, welcome to the Wisdom Seekers class. My name is Stacy Maston, and I'm going to be teaching today. Hallelujah. I know everyone's just saying, shouting a great hallelujah out there. <laughs> so excited. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, the topic is to glorify your Father in heaven. And this, this teaching came about um, because over the last few months, I've just kind of been thinking about this word because I've been, you know, you hear people say that let this glorify the Father or, you know, I'm hearing this term. And I'm like, what does that really mean? Because um, I just think, does it mean, you know, uh, whenever I'm doing something, don't look at me, just look at, just look at, you know, the Father. And I really just wanted to know what it meant. Now, I've been thinking about it for quite some time, but I didn't start studying it or really, I thought, well, maybe I should study that and teach on it, you know, one of those things. So um, in the last week or so, I started um, really looking at all the verses and, and seeing if it could bring to me an understanding of what this term to glorify means. We're not going to look in the Old Testament. There are um, two or three words in the Old Testament that is used to describe to glorify. One of them, of course, is the kabed, the glory. Um, another one, I don't know, I can't remember what the term is, but it means just to, um, to laud someone, to glorify, to give them you know, credit for something. I mean, there are different meanings. But we're going to look in the New Testament today and just discuss the word that comes from doxa, which is the glory, that speaks of the glory of God. And so when you talk about to glorify, you have to encompass the definition of the glory with that because it is associated with the glory. And when you talk about the glory, um, you're talking about, and people who partner with God in the glory, you're talking about individuals who have laid down their lives, who are partnering with God according to his plan, um, who stay in the timing, you know, of uh, what God is doing, who are obedient, you know, all the things that we've really been living for the last 20 some years, our lifestyle is what is glorifying God because we have taken the stand as a son, just like Jesus did. And so, you know, yes, there are times when there are healings and people glorify the Father because of that healing, but what they're really seeing is that relationship that brought that healing, the relationship that that person or Jesus, because it, it occurred with, you know, the apostles as well. But with Jesus, you know, he demonstrated that. He patterned that where he would heal someone and people glorified the Father based on what they saw. And what they were recognizing was that that power came from another source. He was partnering with the Father, and that glory that surrounded him, which the glory did surround Jesus, he was called the Lord of glory. And so he really demonstrated what it means to glorify the Father through your lifestyle and not just through, like, singing a song or, you know, in this moment, you know, let the Father be glorified because your lifestyle is actually what is glorifying the Father. So um, having said that, we're going to go through some verses 
to see how this bears out, okay? So under good works, we have uh, Matthew 5.16. And it says, Jesus says, this was in red in your Bible, let your, so, your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus is instructing the disciples, which is what we are. We are those who are learning. And we have committed ourselves to the word and to learning that which you know, emanates from Jesus and the Father. But look at what this is connected to. What does Jesus say? Your callous works. So when you're doing things according to the plan of God, that is what is going to glorify the Father. So that is a pretty much a pretty stark definer, isn't it? There's another verse that says um, a very similar thing in 1 Peter 2 and 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be, they may by your good or callous works, which they shall behold, because they're going to see it, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. So again, glorifying God comes from an individual who is partnering with the Father, and that callous work that they're doing, that purposeful work that they're doing, will bring glory to the Father. And it can be through miracles. And we'll see in other ways that it is also demonstrated. We're going to begin with a little Christmas story. So this is Merry Christmas to you and to all the saints. This is my Christmas passage for today. Luke 2, verses 7 through 20, say, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And the word great there is megas. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. <laughs> I think that's a funny description. The angels went away into heaven. <laughs> the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. I think that's interesting. So they were visited by angels, but they knew that this information came from on high. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. 
Mary kept all these things and pottered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So in this situation where Jesus is born, you have the glory present. You have the glory of the Lord that shone round about them. Uh, again, pointing to something that the Father was doing. Um, the glory is all, always is present when there's something that's being initiated um, or begun. Um, and these shepherds glorified God. They saw the purpose and plan of God really being laid out before them. They recognized that this was a very special moment in the timeline of of God and they were glorifying him and praising him for what they were witnessing I think that's really cool so that this this um, event of Jesus coming on the scene brought that point of glorifying so we're gonna look at the miracles that Jesus did Matthew 9, 3 through 8. Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think you evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say, Your sins be forgiven you, or say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power, or exousia, on earth to forgive sins. Then says he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And here's another example of the multitudes marveling and glorifying God and acknowledging that Jesus was there representing God, the Father, through exousia. We know that exousia, it, someone who's walking in the exousia power is responsible to carry out the wishes and the purpose of the arche. The person that utilizes exousia is doing so at the behest of the authority that they represent, and they're not there to, to really demonstrate their own power. So the power that they demonstrate is on behalf of another. And that's what Jesus was there doing on behalf of the Father. And they acknowledged this. And I just find that that's awesome. Because, you see, this is a pattern. When we go into the nations, that is what's going to be acknowledged. I mean, fine speech and, you know, a bunch of bells and whistles is not going to glorify the Father. But when you come as a representative agent, a son, and you've died to self. You've submitted yourself to all the processes that, you know, declare you a son of God. That is when people glorify the Father based on something that you've been a part of. And, of course, you're not receiving the glory. <laughs> you know? I mean, we know that, right? But that is what, that's what, that's what really springs forth this this exuberance among the people when they begin to glorify God. And you know, the multitudes, you had to know that they weren't all saved, right? 
But they knew. They acknowledged that it was from God. I just think that's really neat. John 11, 1 through 4. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, I took out a lot of verses that had Jesus healing people and the multitude glorifying because it's very repetitive. But I left this one in here because of what Jesus said about the person being sick unto death. Look at the reason that this person was sick unto death. For the glory of God. Oh. So it's not because that pesky old demon got him and whatever. It is whenever anyone is being ta or being um, maligned with an illness, yes, the enemy is probably very thick in the middle of it, but God uses it for his glory. And, and Lazarus being you know, the brother of Mary and of the sisters that were so beloved. I mean, surely they could have kept him well. I mean, he was a favored and loved person. But he was sick unto death for the glory of God. I just think it's interesting to see those types of definitions about, you know, we have, we have uh, in the church, you know, pretty much a streamlined thought process regarding anything bad that happens to a person, you know, that it has nothing to do with God. <laughs> That's just simply not true. But in this case, we knew that the Son of Man would be glorified through the healing of Lazarus. Jesus was teaching and was glorified through his teaching. In Luke 4, 14 and 15, Jesus returned in the power, the dunamis, of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. He taught in, the, in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So even though he became renowned because of the miracles that he performed, we know that the miracles were there to demonstrate what? The, the proof and, and really the validity of his message. That is, what, that is why we have uh, the miracles and the, things, the signs, the things that, that God does in order to showcase um, a, not a person, but his plan and, and what he's doing through the person so that his plan can be fulfilled. So when you go and you teach in the nations, you know, you're coming with dunamis, which is that, that uh, a functionality, that, that the, the anointing or the power that brings function, and you're bringing that fun function as you teach and as you demonstrate uh, the purpose of God in any place that you go, and the Father will be glorified through it. Jesus on the cross, John 12, 23 through 28. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings 
forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. There's really a lot in this passage that I want to touch on. First of all, I want to look at that last verse that says, Father, glorify thy name. We know that the name represents purpose. So again, this, this uh, principle of, per, of being glorified is attached to the purpose of God, which is his name. The Father's name is always indicative um, and represents his purpose, his plan being fulfilled. When people do things in the name of the Lord, they're doing so in his plan. That's what they are committing themselves to. And so I think that is, again, just another, uh, another piece of evidence um, that um, to glorify the Father, you have to be walking in his name, in his purpose. The other thing I want to touch on um, is the, what I have underlined there close to the top, where it says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. And we're going to see, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to point that out to you because we're going to talk about that in just a minute when it comes up again. Forever. Forever and ever. Yeah, it is a, a, an interesting <laughs> dichotomy of thought. John 17, 1 through 5 and verse 10. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him exousia over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And so, in this verse, Jesus is talking again <coughs> about the fact that he's, he's about to fulfill what he came to earth to fulfill. Ultimately, which was the cross and providing that way for sonship for mankind. We know that you know, throughout his life, he demonstrated what it meant to be a son, and that is the example, of course, that we all follow. But it says here that I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And you know, that, that has to be the thing that we're able to say also. You know, we have finished the work that you gave us to do. Because folks, that's why we're here. And I want you to really um, think about yourself personally. You know, everybody's calling is different. Everyone has different things that the Lord is requiring of them. And 
I, I know I, I've said this before and I've heard other people say it, but I, I say it just as an encouragement for all of us because we do have times where we, it's not that we doubt it, it's not that we don't believe it, but it's just that we, we kind of struggle with the way we feel about it. And that is what you're doing matters to the Father. You know, standing matters to the Father. If your task is to be, a, to be one who stands in the terio that you've been called in, then that is important to the Father, that you do that, that you intercede. All the things that we are called to do are important to him. It's not um, that, you know, he thinks of these things as, uh, well, I'm, you know, I, I, I think this is more important than this thing over here. I think that the Father made all of us to fulfill his plan, and it requires all of us to do that. Therefore, every component of that plan being fulfilled is important. And so all of us want to be in a place where we can say we have finished the work that you gave me to do. Luke, oh, and also in verse 10 it says, you know, I, these are mine, and I am glorified in them. So those that were given to Jesus who go forth as a son and, and uh, really are changed into his image and emulate the pattern that he set for them, um, he is glorified in that. So, super cool. Luke 23, 45 through 47. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Another example of someone who saw what was done through Jesus, through the life of Jesus, through all of the events, and he acknowledged that, that God was the one that was orchestrating this plan, this event, what he was witnessing. And uh, that, you know, he's really just testifying to the life that Jesus led as a son. That is really what he is He's exemplifying to the Father. He's glorifying the Father for what he did through Jesus. Jesus' instruction to sons. John 14, 12 through 13. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We've talked about this a lot because of really the confusion that I think a lot of Christians have regarding, you know, anything you would ask in my name. You know, anytime you ask for anything, you're just going to get it. And we know, you know, just through the, um, throughout Scripture, when it talks about the, the different times that it discusses, um, what a person would ask of the Father and he would receive it. The thing that we have really learned is that, you know, it, it comes with, I want to say a price, but it comes with knowing the Father. It comes with asking in his name or according to his will. Um, and then up at the top it says, he that believeth on me. When you're at the right hand of the Father, you're actually, you know, not just in communion with the Father, but you are... You walk away 
um, with, you know, with a commission to do the things on behalf of the Father. So therefore, the things that you would express on his behalf, of course, he's going to fulfill those things. Um, you know, we're not here um, operating in the power of God to do the things that we care to take care of. I would love to see a world like that. That would be scary. That'd be totally scary. It'd be scary for each one of us if we got everything we asked for. And we're thankful that the Father in his wisdom does not grant that. But instead, you know, he gives us what we need, and he performs that which we do on his behalf when we ask. That is what uh, will glorify him. John, and I think it's interesting because it says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you've got Jesus here, you know, talking to the folks, and he's saying, you know, look, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to be, the Father's going to be glorified in the Son. And I, I just think that that is really talking about the Son because he's the one that paid the price for us to be sons. And therefore, we are his brethren, you know, made in his image. And the Father is glorified in what Jesus did. Again, it's, it's us demonstrating that sonship principle. I just, and I didn't say that very well. It's like I know in my head exactly what I mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you all, if I expressed it very well. Trish can interpret it for you. <laughs> oh yeah, she's gonna have a lot of talking to do here in a minute. I can, <laughs> I can feel it. I sure can. John 15, five through eight. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So now we're going to talk about um, glorifying the Father through bearing much fruit. If you'll recall, we discussed earlier that dying to self was actually a component to bearing much fruit. If something doesn't fall to the ground and die, you know, there's not going to be any fruit. But here we have this principle um, of also abiding in me. Um, but let's, first, let's talk about dying to self and what that actually means in the life of a saint and a son. Um, for us, we know that it means that you have endured the pressure, the chastisement, you know, the fiery trial, the, the challenges. You have submitted every part of your life through those challenges and those obstacles and everything that was really placed before you to test your faith, because we're going to see that come up as well, you died to those, you know, carnal responses to the things that you would want to do to eradicate or to somehow sidestep that point of refining and dying to self. You know, that, <laughs> trying to avoid death is what we all live for. I mean, think about it. In, in our flesh, we do everything we can to protect ourselves. 
That's our nature to do so. So to die to self, which is completely against our carnal nature, is really a precious thing in the sight of the Lord. And it is through that death that life can come and, and we can bear fruit, which will glorify the Father. Again, that partnership, that relationship that we have with the Father is what will glorify him. And then we have this abiding, which we've also had um, significant teaching about, but I'm going to just kind of read a little definition here. Um, it also is talking about this abiding with Jesus means to stay, to remain, to dwell, and to endure. I think we've heard a lot about enduring lately. This measure of abode is really talking about our need to invest our passion in his will and to embrace the eternal directive of God in the place where we have been called to serve his will for us. The key point of abiding is to glean where God wants us to be placed and to be faithful there. God will commune with us in our appointed place of abiding with him. So another definition of relationship, another definition of accepting the partnership where you abide and you stay and you endure, you remain through thick and thin no matter what, you don't give up, you don't turn your back, you accept what the Father has placed before you, your path, which is not always easy. Some of the things you're asked to do are feel impossible. You don't think you're gonna make it through sometimes. But this abiding is what will cause you to as a result, bear much fruit. Who is the one that brings the fruit? We, are we really bearing the fruit? No, because the Father, what he does in us, you know, the changes that come, the things he does through, up, he, through us, he's the one that is actually bearing the fruit. But it is impossible for us to be fruitful unless we engage and embrace this pathway, this pathway of complete submission. And, you know, words, the words that I'm saying here, are light, but the reality of it is heavy because in the moment you feel it and you feel it completely. You know, you can talk about <coughs> these pressures and you know, you can, they don't feel, it's almost like reading the Bible, the things that, that happened to the people in the Old Testament and you just, you remove yourself from the reality of what they faced or whatever, but when you're facing it, it's a real reality. It's not something that you can avoid. Not if you want to be a son. You have to walk through it in a, a submissive way to his plan. But anyway, this is the way the Father is glorified. When you submit to this and are willing to allow him to work in you and through you, and there, thereby he is glorified. John 16, 13, and 14. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. So the Spirit of truth is really just a conduit of Jesus and the Father. He's, he's really the one who's going to show based on what he's been given. Because it says, 
he shall receive of me, and he's going to show it to you. And we know the spirit of truth is going to glorify Jesus in everything that he does. And as we work with the spirit of truth, and as we are impacted by the spirit of truth, and as we embody the spirit of God within us, he will always be there to glorify Jesus. Apostolic miracles. Acts 3, 6 through 13. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he that sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. I don't know why they didn't just say Solomon's porch. I mean, what is up? <laughs> and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so earnestly on us as though by our <coughs> own dunamis or our own holiness, which is piousness, not um, hagios, we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So in this situation, you know, they're really having to deal with the Jewish mindset. And, and they're, they're saying, look, you know, uh, this is coming from the Father. You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same one that's doing this. And, and that heritage is what is glorifying God because we're all from that same heritage. It's not them and us. This is all the same thing. And that God who has come to, uh, you know, bring healing uh, and to res bring restoration to the earth and to uh, mankind, and that plan being fulfilled, that is to the glory of the Father because it's all one. I just think that's really cool. The word amazement up there is ecstasis. And it means to bring the message of God surrounded by the glory of God. This is summed up with what the Father sent Jesus to do and the power that came from him and surrounded him when he showcased a validation for the message that God had given him to deliver. So you think about the, you know, the importance and the impact that Jesus had on the earth. And what God gave him, he's giving to us as sons. Greater works will we do, uh, not better works, but we are to continue his work by expanding it and bringing that fruitfulness and expansion in the earth. So the ecstasis is within us to represent who he is and his message. And this is something that we're going to see. The people are going to acknowledge this and see it on the representatives of the Father who come from this house. I mean, I just think that's incredible. Acts 4, 18 through 22. And they called them and commanded them not to speak 
at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you can judge. For we cannot speak, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about four, above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Again, you have apostolic, apostolic miracles that God was glorified through not just the miracle, because we know that the only way that any of them performed any miracles because of their partnership with the Father. They were operating according to the plan of God. And, and they were subject to his plan. They were subject to his will. They weren't just, you know, wasn't fly-by healings, you know, like they had to, they got to pick and choose. They were operating on behalf of God. The plan of God for the Gentiles. Acts 11, 13 through 18. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send him into Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who shall tell these words, whereby... Okay, my, my voice is wearing me out. <laughs> Who shall tell these words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And, and as I began to speak... So he's telling them. He's saying, look, this is what's going on with the Gentiles. And he's re relaying the story. And I love the way he relays this story because he said, and so as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, just like it did on us in the beginning. And he said, then, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I should withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. <laughs> Imagine that. But, but look how God had to do it. He had to demonstrate it in such a way that there was no way for him to deny what God's heart was about it. And that's the way he operates with us as well. I mean, there are times I know that we don't always know exactly what we're supposed to do, and he kind of waits until the last minute to give you that showing. But there is no doubt that he has done this with us for 20 years in one manner or another. And we have been sure of sureness of what we were doing. There's been no doubt the way God has, has demonstrated, you know, his love toward us, his glory upon us, and his favor, his grace. I mean, there just, we could spend all day talking about the things from the last 20 years. But I love that because he, when he came to them, he had to have an argument, an argument that they couldn't deny. <laughs> I just loved it. <laughs> and, just like, and just like what he did with us, he did it with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's just amazing to me to think that, you know, when the first council was t had taken place, they agreed, the disciples agreed that Paul would go to the Gentiles and Peter would go to the Jews. And we just read these verses where Peter was with the Gentiles. He had other ministries with the Gentiles. And the first time Paul would go anywhere, the first thing he did was he would go to the temple and speak to the Jews. 
lot of times he got stoned for it. But he would go to the Jews first. And neither one of them were in disobedience. But I think God was just showing that there is no respecter of persons, that they, even though they had those assignments, they both went to the other uh, genre, the other uh, ethnicity or, or um, belief system and did not omit anyone from the gospel. But it had to be really hard because when you think about uh, the fact that the Jews felt themselves to be the chosen people. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't just differing religions. I mean, it was that, you know, we're gods and, and everyone else is not. Yeah, that so when they were, yes, right. And so when they were being inclusive of anyone um, could come and to know Jesus, I mean, that was a huge mindset to overcome for them. But, and I know, I know that it was, but I can't downplay the fact that Every one of us have had to overcome mindsets. Anything we've ever thought about God, anything we've ever thought about ourselves, anything we've ever thought about things should be, we've ever overcome those mindsets. We had to die to them in order to embrace what God was doing. And that is the grace walk. It's always about denying yourself in that moment in order to embrace the new. You have to embrace what you don't know. And what you don't, you know, it, it, and even, uh, you know, at the moment, um, you know, he was giving signs to Peter in order to encourage him. And plus, you know, he got the vision, the people came over. I mean, all these things happened that, that instigated the event itself. But, um, but still, your belief system is completely challenged. You have to imagine that, you know, everything you ever knew sometimes will be challenged. Everything you've always thought would be what it is will be challenged. And the thing you have to hearken to are the signs. And I use the sign in a broader sense than signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, you know, God gives us the things we need to know what he's saying to us. And if we can, through that grace, really embrace that and, and, and really latch on just to the fact that we know him, he's with us, and kind of, you're almost like grabbing the hem of his garment and you're kind of riding through the challenge with his grace, because honestly, in our own selves, I don't know that we can overcome the things that we have overcome. But he kind of carries us through, and as long as we'll just hang on to him and spend that, that really that quality and required time to be with him at his throne, because that is where we obtain that grace and are able to go forward. The mindset, the mind is a powerful, powerful thing. And it is louder than the spirit, and it is... It's much stronger than the spirit, honestly. And I, we only are able to overcome it because we submit to the spirit. The spirit is always going to bring up those opportunities. And the plan of purpose of God will be, the path will be lit before you. But the mind is the one that has to agree with what the spirit is saying. So we always have to be in a point where we can submit whatever that crazy thing, that crazy, that crazy, crazy thing we're thinking. And it's usually something that's going to protect us or, you know, it's something about ourselves that we just can't get past. But, um, well, you know, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you know, 20-plus years. And I know we have some hard things coming. And I hope that, that myself and the rest of us don't fail in the faith when 
as things progress because it can always happen and nobody is, is exempt from falling from grace. Um, but we have been through quite a lot. We have been. And I almost think that this, this long tenure of, of development was really so that we would make it into the end, so that we would be those who could stand in the days of the end when things are going to be so hectic and chaotic and really uh, mind-boggling, I think. We're, we're going to be able to um, overcome. All right, moving on. Uh, apostolic message, Second Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brethren, uh, pray, prosukamai, for us that the word of the Lord may be free, may have free course and be glorified, even it, it, as it is with you. So prosukamai is just a verb of the word prosuke, which we've we spend a lot of time talking about this because this is a type of prayer and declaration that that as saints, you know, we partner with God in supplication regarding His purpose. He gives us insight, and we're able to prosuke. So this is talking about that point of declaration so that the word of the Lord would be glorified when we go forth. And that is certainly what we want. Of saints and sons, Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also what? Glorified. When you die to yourself, you are glorifying the Father. When you abide in Jesus and you bear much fruit, you are glorifying the Father. Those who are called and accept that calling and all that it entails, because to even say it in one sentence is not enough to encompass what it actually means to be in this relationship and this partnership. And not just one day give everything you have, but every day give everything you have. It's amazing. But here we are. Those he, who he, you know, whom he did foreknow, those who would be conformed to the image of his son, that would be part of the brethren with Jesus who are called and justified are also glorified. Romans 15, 5 and 6. Now the God of patience and consolation. Now the God who requires patience, staying under, and consolation, paraclesis, and the God that calls you alongside according to his plan, grant you to be like-minded. That means to exercise the mind one toward another. How? According to sonship. According, really, to the laws of sonship that Christ Jesus demonstrated for us. That you, with one mind and one, ma one mouth, would glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in our mind, our mindset, and then what we declare, what we say, those things would glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? 
For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we have to commit that which is carnal and spiritual unto God. Wholly devoted to his plan and this partnership in order to glorify God. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As every man has received the charisma, the gift, the grace gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Guess what? Everyone has received the gift. Everyone has received the grace. Even so, minister what you've been given, the grace that is operative in your life. You minister that one to another as good stewards of what you were given. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as if the ability or dunamis which God gives. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, the thing about this verse, and I think that often, you know, the word of God, which is quick and powerful, and it is um, inerrant and, you know, it's alive, speaking to every Christian that would seek it for truth. We know that the truth that is released to anyone um, of any depth is someone who's actually committed their lives to this partnership with the Father. You know, as a Christian, I read the Bible, and it always did teach me, and it always did say something to me about where I was in my life. But when you know what we know, and you read a verse like this, you know, it... You know, there's so much more behind the responsibility that each one of us has than just, you know, being uh, a good Christian. You know what I mean? Am I making sense? I mean, on the surface, we have lived the word so much as we had understood it. But now that we have a greater understanding, the responsibility is also greater. And um, it really... I mean, when you think about the grace of God being given to you, you know, you can't belittle that. Even if what that is seems unimportant in your eyes. I'm just saying it again. You cannot belittle what God has given because it, it came from him. He does not think little of it. And he says to be steward, good stewards. And he wants you to use what he's given to you. And that is what our responsibility is in the body. And as sons that are charged with fulfilling his plan, um, that point of obedience, the things that you are called to do in that partnership, are it's just paramount that we, uh, that we are obedient uh, to the things that he asks us to do. I know there are things that he's asked you to do that I don't know about. I know there are things that you've had to submit to, that you've had to endure, that you've had to walk through that I am not aware of. You know, this is between you and the Father. And the thing is, the way he's carried you through and all the ways that, you know, his plan works and the way the Spirit is, is directing you, I mean, I know that you can, say this as, you can say this as well as I can, that 
I mean, there are thousands of little things that God has done for me. Just things that only I know about. And I couldn't explain it to another person if I tried because I'd sound like a loony person. You know, he lets you know when he's involved in something. He lets you know when he's, you know, when after you've gone through something, he'll show you something. You're like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you can't believe what lengths he goes to to get you where you are. And it is really an amazing journey, but it's not an easy journey. No matter how rewarding it is, we still had to go through the hard stuff to get to the rewarding part. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's really where a lot of people, you know, they fail to keep moving forward because in that difficult place, sometimes they're not willing to submit that idea, that mindset, or something that they had to give up. They're not willing to give that thing up. Anyway, just talking about the grace. The grace is amazing, as we all know. Um, but it's for a purpose. And it's usually to get you into the new, which is a struggle. <laughs> Okie dokie. Then we're going into testing. First uh, Peter 1, 6 through 9. Wherein you greatly rejoice, and this is the one that means to jump. Um, though now for a season, that's not kairos. It just means for a short time. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. I, I want to just bring this up. That that word tried and trial, both, they're, I think they're two different words, but they do both mean to be tested. So what you gain from your commune with the Father, that faith, that right-hand commune, and your commission, and your, your willingness to walk that out to fulfillment is tested. But it's found unto praise and honor, honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ whom having not seen, you agape, in whom though now you see him not, you go to the right hand. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and glorifying. That's what full of glory is. It's, it actually is the phrase that means to glorify. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So what we've been talking about with the challenges the trials, the things that you have to endure in order to earn your crown, in order to earn the authority to actually move on behalf of the purpose and plan of God. To glorify the Father, you have to overcome the tests of your faith. So it's part of the process. It's part of our journey. It's part of our development. And I love that it says, even though you haven't seen, you are passionately pursuing the agape. And you believe. You go to the right hand, even though you haven't seen. So that the end of your faith, or that that you are doing on behalf of that relationship at the right hand, you are going to have your salvation. Ultimately, that's what's happening, is the salvation of your soul. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, 
I get five more minutes because we started late. Think it not strange concerning the fire, fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And this word strange is xenos, which is really talking about a stranger. And as if something, you know, extraneous from you, something that you're unaware of. Uh, don't think of it as that. <laughs> Somebody knows what's up. <laughs> and that would be God. But rejoice instead that Cairoi, that, that word that, that we've been learning about recently in the grace song, as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, I think I've got the wrong sheet here. Hang on, hang on. I didn't bring, don't you hate it when this happens? This is hilarious, oh there it is, okay. This was my, my old sheets that I made all my notes on. And I'm like, what is that doing there? Okay. I had to bring everything. Um, okay, so, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. So in the midst of your sufferings, this, this word Cairo is used. And I know Pastor's been talking about that, and um, but we know that we're talking about something within us that really accepts the plan of God and rejoices over the plan of God in the midst of the sufferings. And it's not something that's a surface, you know, you have to make yourself think good thoughts. We know that it's within us and that we have to nurture that, um, really that, that rejoicing, that... Um, I don't know what, what to really call it other than to say that, you know, you, you continue to accept the plan of God because that acceptance is the only way you're going to have any rejoicing. If you don't accept it, you're basically, you don't necessarily have to be in bitterness, but you're heading towards bitterness because you're, you're kind of, you're butting up against the plan of God. But once you if no matter what happens, you accept it, there is a space for praising God. There's space for thanking God. As a matter of fact, sometimes if you find yourself in a hole, if you just start thanking Him and praising Him for what's happening, then you will, you will engender, you will you know, bring about this rejoicing that is rejoicing in the grace of God that is coming, that's on the pathway of obedience to Him. See, that's the thing. You're on a pathway of obedience. <coughs> and in that pathway are several things that oppose you, and you have to accept it and rejoice in the midst of it. Stacy, yes. I, I look at it for me as when those opportunities arise, it's you're sowing in, so it's a tithe. That's how I look at it, is you're giving a tithe of even that that thing that's coming that maybe you don't want to surrender to or that atmosphere or that encounter or you know whatever it is be it your job be it a you know relationship be it family whatever it's to me it's like you you, you sow into it and you give a tithe as you surrender and you accept and then there's that opening that God does to where he gives you the grace and the ability to continue in that 
encounter or whatever. No, I totally agree, and we're gonna we'll touch on that on the next first. Oh. If I can, uh, it's five after. Um, <coughs> but th let me just finish this verse. When his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad, Cairo, also with, with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So as you accept, you know, what is happening in the plan of God regarding your development, the glory and of God will rest upon you. That place, that secret place that we are able to come into communion with God, because we know that the spirit of glory of God really speaks of a greater intimacy with the Father coming into his presence. And in that place, we're empowered in the presence of the depth of his heart in order to partner with him and demonstrate the glory. I mean, that is really why we're there. We're being developed in order to de demonstrate the glory. And, you know, that is, I guess, the only way that any one of us can be glorified is that we've come to a place of representing him where we're representing the glory when we're out in ministry or whatever we're doing. And it's based on relationship. It's not because we're some highfalutin person. No highfalutin person is going to ever be working in the glory, ever. Only a very lowly person is going to be representing the glory. I mean, it's really quite the opposite. Um, but let's just go to this last part of First Peter, verse 19. Um, this is just talking about, well, we, got, we have to read this because it's funny. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. So murder and busybody in the same sentence, folks. <laughs> and we may not have a bunch of murdering people in church, but we do have a bunch of busybodies. <laughs> and so uh, they're suffering. Yeah, you can kill someone's life or you can kill someone's reputation. Yeah, but they're suffering because of their own actions. And I know it's, it's an awful place to be, but anyway, if you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. In other words, your life has to exemplify sonship. That is the way God is gonna be glorified. I've described what that is, I'm not gonna repeat all of it. But then go on down, it says, wherefore let them suffer according to the will of God. This is the righteous. The righteous, let them suffer according to the will of God. Uh, commit the keeping of their souls to them in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So we have to commit our passionate pursuit, our emotions, our mindset to God to fulfill the agathos, the agathos, which is the benefit, which, okay, we have the kalos, kalos, which is the plan of God. The agathos is doing anything important or beneficial on behalf of the plan of God. So it's still concerning the plan of God, it's just described in a different way. So when you commit the keeping, the paratitheme, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about tithing in, embracing the plan of God by you're, you're pretty much tithing your soul, which are your emotions and all the things that would love to rise up and oppose the plan of God, right? But instead, we commit this, we commit our tithe to 
our faithful creator, who is the one who meets with us and communes with us at his throne. He's a faithful creator. He's the one that's at the throne waiting to meet with his sons. But, yeah, what you said about tithing yourself into a moment, it's you can either tithe something soulish or you can tithe that which is beneficial to the plan of God. Any other comments before I close? It's late. Thank you, Father, for uh, this understanding, for leading me through this teaching, and for helping me. I, I just thank you for um, really the times of commune and our point of uh, partnership that has led us all to this place of knowing you, of knowing your heart, and being those who represent you and represent your glory um, according to your plan and your will. And Father, we love you. We praise you. Uh, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, whom we are celebrating this week, um, his coming to the earth, his, you know, the God with us, Emmanuel. We are so thankful for Emmanuel, and we're thankful for the life that he lived and the giving of his life so that we could know you more. We are just thankful for all of these things. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.